It's time to shimmy with Siobhan Camille of Greenstone Belly Dance. I'm Tiffany, your host at Yellow Rocks, and as always, I'm super excited to have you joining us today. We are going to be talking about something that we all work on from the beginning of our journey in this dance into basically forever. Shimmies. There's always something more to learn, layer, or experiment with when it comes to shimmies. And today, Siobhan is going to be talking to us about the role that strength plays when it comes to shaking our hips. Her course for the 2021 bundle is Shimmy and Strength, and you're not going to want to miss it. Siobhan is honestly one of my favorite teachers, and I can't wait to be able to dive into this course with her. But until then, let's take these tips and apply them to our shimmy practices. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. Today, we are joined by fan favorite, Siobhan Camille. Welcome back to the podcast, Siobhan. Thanks for having me back. I'm super excited. Um, I mentioned you as a fan favorite because as of this moment, you have the most listened to podcast of all of the podcasts in Yala Rocks history. Really? Yeah. Wow. Our, one, our one on rhythms apparently was very popular. Oh, That's super exciting. So I wanted to talk to you today about your class for the bundle, the 2021 bundle, Strength, Shimmy and Strength. And I wanted you to start off by giving people a little bit of your background so they know where you're coming from kind of as we dive into this, because we're not going to talk about shimmies in the way that I feel like people usually talk about shimmies. Sure. Um, I always feel like it's a long story talking about my background because I've done a lot of things. But um, essentially, um, I my background is in exercise science. Um, and I started, yeah, I started working in the field about 12 years ago. Um, I, I originally was an athlete and an endurance athlete, and that was what I wanted to do with my life. And then actually I had an injury that um, one pushed me to go to university and study more because I was like, I would like to keep my body strong and injury free as often as possible. Um, and two actually pushed me to start belly dance because I couldn't run for a while and I needed something that was more low impact. So I got into belly dance. But um, yeah, so I've been belly dancing those last 12 years as well, which is crazy when I think about it, time flies. Um, but I, I started with um, yeah, a bachelor in exercise prescription um, and I was kind of working both with athletes and with the clinical population. So I was doing quite a lot of rehab, especially around shoulder and low back injury. And I did some research while I was at the University of Otago on um, injury incidents and risk factors for injury and belly dancers. So um, people can listen to the podcast on that as well, which is also <laughs> on Yala Rocks. <laughs> yes, we have it uh, from, it wasn't our one last year, was it? It must have been. Yeah, yeah. I feel was. like I've known you for way longer than just a year at this point. <laughs> I think it's also with COVID, it feels like 17 years and also only two weeks, you know, right? like at the, the same just, time, everything feels really weird. Um, but yeah, so then after that, I was really enjoying all the rehab work. So I went off to um, McGill University in Canada to do my master's in rehab science, but I kept working with athletes along the way as well. So um, I specialize in both athletic performance and injury rehab. So um, yeah, I guess I, I come 
to belly dance with quite a nerdy musculoskeletal slant. <laughs> like I'm always interested in what muscles are working and um, how we can change the emphasis with that as well. Because I think the interesting thing about belly dance compared to the other athletes I work with is when you're belly dancing, you're sometimes actively choosing to isolate something and layer it on top of a movement to change the way the movement looks. Mm -hmm. um, and that's quite different to a lot of other sports where you're really just um, learning the technique from the beginning and then uh, it becomes very innate almost, like it just happens automatically. Whereas um, I think that happens with belly dance too, and I think it should happen with belly dance in order to make movements natural. But I think there is also a lot of times where we choose to, to actively contract a muscle during a movement that you might not necessarily contract otherwise. So, yeah. Yeah, it. I feel like belly dance more than other dance styles. Like we do that a lot where we're doing lots of different things at the same time. Because if you look at yeah. something like ballet, like they are doing lots of things, but they're all happening in the same like direction or sure. you know they're all they're not layered and going in opposite directions and one's staccato and one's flowy like yeah we've we've got this really interesting mix happening in our bodies yeah definitely. all the time so what are since you come at it from a nerdy musculoskeletal perspective can you share some of the moving parts of a shimmy like what like dive into the anatomy get nerdy with us a little bit here like we make it sound so simple, right? Like sure. just, just shimmy, but there's so much going on in our bodies when when we're doing this. It's not just, oh, just shimmy. It's just yeah. this one thing. Yeah, and especially if you want a, um, a clear, defined, relaxed shimmy, there's, there's quite a lot going on, even if it feels relaxed. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also important to, to point out that there's different ways of shimmying. So, yes. so the emphasis kind of shifts depending on where you're driving it from or what you're choosing to kind of layer on top in terms of um, isolated contractions. But if we're going with kind of the more Raksharki style shimmy where it's driven by the legs, then um, it's relatively quad dominant especially if you're sitting in a lower position so if you're quite bent in your knees mm -hmm. um, and that's what kind of turns it into that hip shimmy that we often talk about where the hips go up and down really vertical but even if you're standing with a straighter leg it's still a lot of quad and hamstring movement going on the thing that I think some people don't realize with these leg driven shimmies is that your calf flexibility plays a big role in how far forward you can bring your your knee so how far forward you can flex your knee while your heels still stay on the ground so calf strength and mobility is actually really really important for um, being able to get a bigger range in the legs and that's what usually makes our shimmy look um, smoother and more stable because I think a lot of people when they shimmy um when they're trying to make a shimmy bigger, they just end up going faster and then they end up kind of seizing up and that actually makes the shimmy smaller. Yeah. But we want to actually keep the range of motion even when we speed up as much as possible to um, yeah, to, to get a really, a, a shimmy that people can see, especially on stage. So your calf, yeah. calf mobility can play a big role there as well. Yeah, I, I never would have thought of that, but you're, that makes sense when you think about the mechanics of a shimmy, like, yes, yeah. if you're keeping your heels on the ground, your calves have to be flexible to do that. So you mentioned 
right? People seizing up in their shimmies, mm-hmm. right? Doing almost that vibrational shimmy versus sure. a big, juicy, like hips really kind of flying. Mm-hmm. So what is actually happening in that vibrational shimmy? Because it's not, it doesn't feel the same. Like that you can almost like, I know for myself, like when I'm trying to go faster and I lose it and it shifts into that vibrational shimmy, like you can feel it. You can tell like, oh, I'm not doing the same. I, it's like my key for mindfulness, right? To stop, yep. back up, try again. But like, what is actually happening there versus in a shimmy where your hips are really going? Yeah, well, I think kind of what you've actually just said about stopping and restarting is is kind of key because usually what's happening here, it's kind of more of a, how do I explain it? Kind of more of like a motor control issue where the skill just hasn't been learned yet. Mm-hmm. And and I also think vibration shimmies are great, but you you want to be choosing to do them. Yeah, you got to do it on purpose. I think, yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes... Um, that's not a choice when a layer is added or when the music speeds up, it's like people just freeze. Um, So I think, yeah, the main thing there is that um, whenever we're learning any sort of skill, a good way (laughs) to see if we've really got it into our bodies is to play with the speed and in particular speed it up. Mm -hmm. And so when we see it kind of fall off at those faster speeds, to me, that's usually an indicator that um, you need to take a step back and drill it slower in the moment. And I do this with my students all the time. We usually go slow, medium, fast, slow, medium, fast, and we keep cycling through mm-hmm. because if you keep drilling that shimmy at that fast speed, but it's not clean, then that's what your body's going to learn. And then you're going to have such a hard time and not just your body, your brain, then you're going to have such a hard time unlearning it later because our body and our brain really likes chunking things and putting it away. So if you keep just being like, I'm just going to keep going, even though the shimmy's not really working, <laughs> then your brain's going to learn that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this is kind of more of a indication of where that skill is at in your body and your mm-hmm. brain, rather than necessarily anything biomechanical. Um that I would think would be an issue. Although I do see when people are tired, like if they've done a big workout the day before, then the muscles just don't want to contract as fast. So then sometimes they, they get a little sloppy as well. Yes. Let's just use that as our excuse. Every time. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me then how much does strength actually play into like shimmying prowess? Like what, what does being stronger then do for your shimmies like on a biomechanical level, right? Because you, like yeah. you said, it's almost like two different things happening when you're yeah. learning to shimmy. There's like your brain figuring out how yeah. to fire your muscles that fast and learning the skill. And then your legs and your body actually being strong enough to complete the movement. Sure. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many things I could say about this because the thing is as well with Go. strength, <laughs> even, even with strength, you know, okay, let's say I'm kind of going on a tangent, but I promise I'll come back. <laughs> like, let's say you go to the gym um, or you start doing push ups or something, and you find that you've already increased your push ups within, you know, two weeks or something. You went from doing one to doing five or whatever. What's happening at that 
um, shorter time span, it's not actually your strength improving or it's not your muscle mass improving. That's the thing. It's not your okay. muscle mass improving. It's the neuromuscular element. It's your body learning like, oh, you want me to contract those muscles in this way. So mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff, like we can never separate the brain from the body. They inform mm-hmm. each other. In the past, there's been kind of like top-down models where it's like the brain controls everything. And then other people have had bottom-up models where it's like, oh, the body controls the brain. But really, they're always, you know, there's it's always somewhere a, in the middle. Yeah. It's 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 all feedback back and forward. And yeah, anyway, tangent. Um <laughs> okay. Now I've got to go back to what you actually asked me. What's happening uh at a at a musculoskeletal level or a biomechanical level? Um so, I mean, one of the benefits, if, if you're actually doing strength training in particular, so, um, you know, strength training is things like body weight training, like push-ups and squats, or like um, weightlifting, so either with free weights or machines at the gym, or, or things with resistance bands, that's all strength training. If you're doing strength training, and particularly strength training that is on the heavier side, that's when we start recruiting more um, muscle motor units and the more muscle mass that we recruit during an activity the more likely we are to strengthen what's called our fast twitch muscle fibers and they're pretty important for shimmies because they are the ones that um fire fast so they're the ones that we need for like rapid movements sprinters use them a lot um but we also need the slow twitch muscle fibers, which are the fibers that are a bit more endurant because sometimes we want to shimmy for a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, increasing your strength can really help with your power in, in your shimmies, especially if you're wanting to do things like choo-choo shimmies. Um, no, and nobody then, wants to do choo-choo shimmies. Oh, everyone wants. I'm going to see says Tabla Tabata, the killer. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then on the other end, um, just improving your muscular endurance. So this is some of that type one muscle fibers as well. You really need that if you want to have stamina in your shimmy. Because sometimes what I see, so what I can see when I'm like, okay, someone's kind of missing the strength for their shimmy. Mm-hmm. It is also this case where they can get a really good shimmy going, but it just doesn't last long. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they can get a really good shimmy going even with layers and with traveling, but it's more the duration of it won't last. And that's when usually they've got to do a bit of strength training to kind of increase that duration as well and practice shimmies more. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause that's, you know, whenever I see my students struggling with the duration of the shimmy, it's just like, oh, well, it's just, just got to do more of it. I never thought mm-hmm. that that was where the strength component would come in. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does. But um, I will say as well, if you want to get better at shimmies, I wouldn't just do strength training all day, every day. Well, no, yeah, right. You got to be shimmying. I'd be shimmying as much as possible. Like it's the same, you know, I work with speed skaters. The majority of what they do is speed skating, but they still come in to the gym and do their strength work because they know that that makes them better on the ice as well. So, um, yeah, I think if, if someone's not knowing where to start, then it would be starting for the, for the lower body shimmy in particular, It'd be starting with quadricep strength, hamstring strength, and calf strength, because as I've talked about before as well, a, a weak muscle is often a tight muscle. So if you've got tight calves, you want to combine some mobility work with strengthening work as well. So something I always heard 
coming up in the dance world, right? And you never quite know, like, if what the information you're getting is is actually legit, you know, or if it's just something that somebody's told somebody that's told somebody else was that. And I think I think you've already confirmed it, but I want to say it and have you tell me. I think I know what's what. coming. <laughs> so I always heard that with shimmies, yeah. that you build more connections between your brain and your muscles the longer you do it. And that's what allows you to like go faster and do it more consistently. Like you're actually building more connections as, as you do it, like literally like in your body, like what neuromuscular connection, I think you mentioned it earlier. So it's like, I feel like, I think it's based maybe in a little bit of fact, but I think maybe the wording was not quite there. I think that maybe this has come from, there was this study, I think of um, elite professional musicians, I think maybe in Europe, quite a while ago now, somewhere, somewhere in the realm of 15 to 20 years ago, I think. I've been dancing for 15 years, so this all checks out. (laughs) Yeah. And, and this is where that 10,000 hour rule myth came from this Mm. myth that you become a um an expert at something in 10,000 hours and the thing was the paper didn't actually say that the paper showed a massive range of when the the musicians reached expert level Mm -hmm. in terms of how many hours they practiced but then it's this thing where um it gets taken by the media and they want something that sounds easy and it's it's easy to tell to people Mm -hmm. so um I wonder if this is something that's kind of come from this. Um, I would say with anything, we kind of want to build up a training age. So this can be with strength training or with dance um, because then your body gets more used to it as well. So then your body's actually more resilient in that um, in that activity too because it's accustomed to it. It's got some adaptation. But I think this, this kind of statement could also potentially be kind of harmful because if we look at the research on on just learning in general and focus and attention a lot of that research says that we have our optimal we hold optimal focus on something for in the realm of 20 to 45 minutes Mm -hmm. so I actually keep my practices really short nowadays because there's actually okay tangent again sorry no (laughs) there's a great there's a great um there's a great neuroscientist who is a belly dancer her name is Celine I think it's Celine Sophia I think she's called neuroscience of dance I think that's her business Mm -hmm. um and I've attended workshops with her before and she has talked about how if you have more attention and you're more interested in learning something, you're going to actually learn it better. And so that's the thing. If you go for like ages and ages and you're getting bored of it as well, Mm -hmm. then you're probably just kind of wasting your time in a sense. Mm -hmm. And also there's been so much research recently saying that actually we don't even really know how people learn and everyone's a little bit different. And I think (laughs) this is where, I think this is where doing things like this dance tracker actually that you've put out is Mm -hmm. I talked about tracking last year as well. I think tracking is you were a big part of why this is all happening to be completely honest. Yeah. I mean, I've been tracking my dance for actually 12 years. Like I, I really think it, this is how you learn about your body as well. Like you can do it without tracking, but if you're able to look back on stuff and see patterns, I think it's so helpful. 
but yeah, I think this is where the dance tracker can be really helpful because you can see what's working for you in terms of what's making your shimmy stronger and better. And the mm. other thing is, if you just shimmy for hours and hours and hours and end up really sore and tired, then your shimmies the next day are going to be terrible. So <laughs> yeah, like you said, right? Your muscles yeah. get tired and then they don't yeah. want to do the thing. Yeah. So um, I, I mean, there's some truth to it that we've got to practice. Um, I think the main thing is practice, practice frequency rather than duration. That's what I usually emphasize. And I know actually another bundle contributor, Lindsay, who's a musician, she um, she talks about this too for, for music learning. Um, and, and I think that is what, that is what helps our brain build those connections is frequency, mm-hmm. like kind of reminding your body, like, no, I want you to keep this rather yeah, this than is, this is important. Please pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, okay. You do want me to do that. <laughs> so yeah, there was a very long winded answer, but no, yes. that's yeah. And that is not quite what I meant by the question, but I like, I, I appreciate that answer because it speaks to something else that I speak about a lot, right? That it like 15 minute practices are legit, right? I and do, I, actually, I do five minute practices sometimes. I think they are so helpful. Yeah. So this is something that I, I really push and it's why the challenge is set up the way it is because yeah. like, yes, you can show up and you can do your dance for five, 10, 15 minutes mm. and have it be worth your time, right? Yeah. I think a lot of us get Absolutely. into this pattern of like, it's not worth our time to show up for 10 minutes. Like what is this doing for my, it's not doing anything for my dance, but it, it is. And if you can get in the habit with the challenge and then come out of it on the tail end, having practiced 15 minutes a day for an entire month, like, especially if you're using the dance tracker and doing something like shimmies every day for a month, it's going to be a totally different shimmy by the end than it is at the beginning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like, yeah, what we don't realize as well, 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 what we realize if we think about, but what we don't often think about is how just 15 minutes a day adds up at the end of the oh, month. For real though. Yeah. <laughs> like if you do that math, I'm going to do that math. Here we go. Yes, math on the I podcast time. 15 minutes a day <laughs> is 420 minutes over the course of the month, which is seven hours of practice. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't usually do that if they're just going to regular classes anyway, on top of their classes. So I think that's the thing that's going to make a huge difference, especially over time to your practice, to well, your dance. And especially if you have like an area that you're focusing into, I yeah. mean, we're, we're like nerding out about this. We're like, yes, do yeah. it. Um, because if you are going to class once, twice a week, like you might be practicing seven hours over the course of the month for sure. But are you doing seven hours of shimmies, seven hours of arabesques? Like that, like the, that amount of practice on the singular subject is what's telling your brain, Hey, this is important. Yes. Remember how to do this and how I want you to do it better. And yes. And then it builds. And I think maybe, maybe we talked about this last year on the podcast as well. One of the the big things of that book, Atomic Habits, which has been really, really popular for people for habit building, one of those things is make it easy. So, you know, um, and I have this a lot with with athletes and dancers and rehab clients who come to me and they want to suddenly be doing like a ridiculous amount of training. And I'm like, why? Why do you want to start with that? And they're like, oh, that's what I think I should be doing. 
And I'm like, why don't we start with making it really accessible so you actually do it rather than, you know, something that you think you should be doing and you don't achieve it. So I think in the book, he gives an example of like, for people who want to get better at push-ups, do one push-up like every time you go to your your office desk or something. And, and that's the thing, making it so small that it's going to happen <laughs> is right? the key. So I actually had a question in my email that ties into this um, mm-hmm. a little while back when we were announcing, we announced the tracker or the challenge, something, someone emailed me back and they told me that they were um, afraid to do small practices because mm-hmm. they couldn't warm up because warmups oh. take five to 10 minutes. So how can they practice for five to 10 minutes if they're not warm already? So I wrote them a lengthy email with my opinions, but I'd actually like to hear yours since we're on the yeah. subject and it is relevant. <clears throat> I actually think, okay, if I'm putting on my scientist cap. We, <laughs> we love say, scientist hatch on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm also going to put on my actual real life cap in a second. So if I'm putting on my scientist cap, um, we talk about warm-ups, yeah, lasting between 10 to 20 minutes. And I think that sounds really scary to people, but what people don't realize um in exercise science and in sports science, we usually talk about and use a method called the RAMP protocol. And I've got a blog about this on my website. So Which it's we are raise... going to put in the show notes. Okay, great. <laughs> it's called Raise, Activate and Mobilize and Potentiate. And Potentiate is actually the last section of it. And I explained that in the blog where you get yourself up to the intensity that you're going to be working at either for the rest of the class or your highest peak. So usually my potentiate when I do a warm up is shimmies. So mm-hmm. because that's going to be kind of the most intense thing that we're usually doing in the class. So the warm up technically lasts 20 minutes, but it doesn't really because the warm up is covering all of the stuff that we're going to be doing. Now, in real life, when I am warming up at home for my own practice, because I do a lot of strength training, so I don't usually do strength training in my own warm-ups um, because I do them as separate sessions. Mm-hmm. But what I will do for my own warm-up is between three to four and a half minutes. And for me, that gets me warm enough, but I make sure that I'm really um, yeah, increasing my heart rate and moving multiple joints at the same time so I'm not doing tiny little movements um I tend to do things like inchworms so that's where you this this won't work for people who can't forward bend so anyone with things like sciatica but there are other options too so I'll do like a big reach forward then bend over walk out into a plank walk my feet in stand up I'll do walking lunges I will do walking hip openers so I take my knee up and around um, And I'll do kind of like moving stretches, but just things that really increase my heart rate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I have a very short warm up, but it's like it's it's light enough that it's not like I'm going to injure myself, (laughs) but it's heavy enough that I'm going to get warm. So these are like using doing things that use your whole body. Yes. So that you are. Getting all of the things, you know, all the joints lubricated, all of the yeah. muscles start to work so that you're it, not like going to injure yourself in the, in, in the next bit. Yeah, of what absolutely. You're doing. And, and that's how all warmups should start is with big full body movements, um, and, and increasing heart rate and muscle temperature. But, um, yeah, I, I, I guess as well, this is where it's maybe getting to know your body and knowing what you need to warm up. But I definitely do things that activate the muscles. Like I say, walking lunges. 
like things that are really going to make my muscles go, oh, we need to work without being too intense for me. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, you know, if you're someone, for example, with like a knee injury and you don't do any warming up and then all of a sudden you're doing floor work, you're probably going to feel your knees. Whereas if you do some things like plies, you know, walking lunges, squats, anything that works for you that gets the muscles around the joint warm in a relatively easy way, then you're probably less likely to actually feel that knee when you get down into that floor work. So then my question becomes for... Like say you were going to do shimmies as a warm up. So you get up, yeah. you do a couple of full body exercises and then like, maybe you don't get super warm, but you start shimmying smaller and then you yeah. ramp it up. Right. Like, does that, yeah. does that kind of warm your way into the move? definitely I think the thing would be like with shimmies I would just start with yeah I'd start with slower and then slowly speed up which is a good way anyway to check in with your technique make sure it's clean at that slower speed too Mm -hmm. um and like I wouldn't start with choo-choo shimmies for example that would be the thing that I would build nobody starts with (laughs) choo-choo shimmies (laughs) um because uh, not without having done anything else first, because that would be the sort of thing that if I haven't warmed up my feet and my ankles and, and all my muscles and my legs, that would be where, yeah, if you're totally cold, you could be at more risk of injury. So even just doing, yeah, your, your normal shimmies first and going from slower to faster to faster and then going into a choo-choo shimmy, that would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes. I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to answer this question. Cause I know this is something that people struggle with yeah. when it comes to these smaller practices. Yeah. So with shimmies, then let's bring it, bring it back around. Yes. <laughs> we, we tangent, but it was wonderful. It was wonderful. <laughs> I'm so here for it. Um, with, I feel like every teacher teaches shimmies a bit different right? Mm-hmm. Like some people really focus on the knees. Some people really focus mm-hmm. on the hips and the obliques, like, and mm-hmm. then you have the entire like Suhaila style where it's completely glute driven. Like clearly the difference between the knees and a glute shimmy very well defined. They look different. They are mm-hmm. a different way of doing the move, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering with these, like, where do the obliques really play in and all of it in some of it? I think Actually, all of these shimmies that you've just mentioned are kind of closer to each other than we think they are. Yeah, And okay. it's, again, this thing of um, actively choosing to isolate a muscle on top of it. Um, because even in the glute-driven shimmies, if you don't let your knees move at all, your hips aren't actually going to move. So mm-hmm. the knees are still moving, but it's the glutes that are driving it. Whereas in those leg shimmies, it's the legs that are driving it. And then we're getting more of a reaction in the hips. Um, so it's kind of like who's in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think um, some people can get quite hung up on like, this is the one way yeah. to shimmy. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I don't think that's true in any case, because I think, there, okay, I have multiple ways of doing a lower body shimmy. I don't just do a straight-legged shimmy and I don't just do a hip shimmy. Like I want to be able to do the different ways because they all, like you say, they all look slightly different. They have slightly different qualities. So when the music has a different quality, I want to be able to interpret that. Um, so, yeah, uh, your question was specifically about the obliques, right? It was for me because like I've always sure. like – I can only come from my personal experience. Sure, sure. But when I have taken classes, I've always 
people will be like, oh, use your obliques to like uh-huh. do the shimmy. And I'm like, why? <laughs> okay. I am going to show you. Yes. <laughs> but I'm also going to try to talk about it as well. Yes. So, and I'm um, going to totally take this clip for Instagram. <laughs> if I was doing what I call the straight legged shimmy, yeah. then here my obliques are not really doing anything. And remember, yeah. some of this is just, um, what's the word? like naming like this is what I call it it might be called something different when I sink down into a hip shimmy if I don't use my obliques I'm going to try do it it's actually kind of hard because I'm used to it I don't get the the hip lift as much as if I do so and I should be careful here as well um all the time in belly dance we say things like okay uh you know like what's the thing people say like um it's a knee driven shimmy it's not it's it's the quads and the hamstrings that are driving it Mm -hmm. because joints don't create movement muscles do muscles Mm -hmm. pull on bones and that's what moves the joint so even here when I'm saying like oh you know now I'm not using the obliques and now I am I am actually using the obliques in both situations but this is kind of what I'm talking about where I switch the emphasis and kind of add an extra isolation on top yeah. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. Everyone, there will be, I'm going yeah, to put this clip up on Instagram. Maybe we need to sniff out this little clip and put it on the podcast page as well. Yeah, for sure. Cause I, I think that that's really helpful because I feel like a lot of people are probably doing it without thinking about it. Yes. And so then when people tell them, when you hear a dance teacher mention, like do the obliques or use your glutes yep. or use your, yeah, they say use your knees, but you know, use your quads. Like yes. you're, you're doing it already. Your body's automatically doing that and so you're like how I don't understand and I think what we forget because we're a dance that has so many muscular isolations (laughs) and this is what I was trying to explain earlier and it's kind of hard to explain because like I say it's very unique like we have times where we're really like okay I'm going to manipulate my diaphragm now but then when we don't feel that we're manipulating it we don't realize that it's still moving and, and the same thing here when people are like, oh, but it's it's not my quads or my hamstrings because I don't feel them contracting. Just because you're not going like, <laughs> doesn't mean they're not working. It's just, we're not adding that isolation on top. Yeah. We're not paying attention to that part yeah, of our bodies yeah. while it's happening. Yeah. Gosh, it's. Uh, and I feel like that even, that even becomes like more and more of a thing as you get into it. Cause like you remember the first time you were ever in a dance class and somebody puts you in dance posture and you're like, yes. I feel like a doll that's been posed. Like, yep. what is this? Yep. But now you just get into it. Yes. When you first started shimmying, you, you did pay attention. You did feel your yep. quads and your hamstrings. You just don't anymore yep. because it's become so normalized to your body and your brain. Yep. Yep. For sure. This is, you're like opening doors in my mind about (laughs) shimmies and dance right now, Siobhan. (laughs) Good. (laughs) This is amazing. All right. So before I I get you to give us all the details on where we find you on the internet. Yes. Two last things. Mm -hmm. What is the most common kind of issue you see with dancers and shimmies? Like if you could, if you could wave a magic wand and this happened. Yes what would what would you quote unquote fix or I would tell get people, people to, to do yeah i would tell people to slow down because yes. what i always see in class and i remind people i'm always like slow down if you've lost it but a lot of people don't they get to the point where they've lost it and they just keep drilling it 
there and like I say then we're building that brain body connection of a quote-unquote wrong shimmy or a shimmy that is not the way you actually want it to look if it changes how it looks you've you've got to take a break slow it down get it right and then speed it up again so that would be the main thing I would change so So I think some sorry no I think uh sometimes it's just uh you know we want to do the thing now (laughs) we do we want it so badly (laughs) and and it's like I I I remember this too because like I said I've been dancing 12 years now and I remember in my first two years you know improving really fast but obviously still being a beginner and um looking at these dancers who've been dancing for 10 years and being like I just want to be there now (laughs) and it's like you just can't you can't rush progress especially like there are going to be certain things that your body gets faster than others and certain things that your body gets a bit slower and and that's that's just part of it and that's why you've got to love your practice as well yes oh yes all right so then the question becomes when you have people practicing, people are in front of a mirror in their dance space, wherever they are, they're going to do this 15 minute practice. Yeah. You want them to slow down. Yeah. How do they do that? Yes. I think (laughs) the one thing it's hard. I know. I think the one thing as well is for me, a shimmy 99.9% of the time is countable and timed. So it's like either on the beat or it's double time or it's it's triple time, but it's really like it's timed. It's mm-hmm. not just like, um, like the way I often describe it to my students is like if we're thinking with the, the leg-driven shimmy again, if we're thinking right, left, right, left, right, left, it's not going like right, left, right, left. Like it's it's even, mm-hmm. you know? And it also, well, also it's not going right, right, left because sometimes they have to get tired as well. <laughs> yeah. So um, if I think actually Orit in last year's bundle, so anyone who got last year's bundle, I think Orit from Sharky Workout gave mm-hmm. out um, a, a PDF on how to teach people how to find the beat of the music. And so if uh, you yeah, don't know how to find the beat and you got last year's bundle, look that up because that could be really helpful. It's really going like, okay, I'm going to go on the beat and now I'm going to try and go halftime or I'm going to try and go and playing with that. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it can be like, whether you've got your focus on the hips, whether you're doing the leg driven hip shimmy or the glute driven uh, Suhaila style shimmy, or if you're doing the leg driven straight legged shimmy, just work out kind of where your focus point is. So maybe it's hips or maybe it's legs. And I often think of the knees as the focus point and really like anchor one side to, to, like every second beat so really Mm -hmm. for me it helps to go like left right left right left right or when it gets really fast then I go like da 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 like and I just make sounds (laughs) but for me sounds help a lot um so yeah I think learning to find the beat and trying to anchor your movements to that and slowing it up and down and half time and full time can be really helpful awesome fantastic Siobhan tell people where can they find you online how do they learn more from you how do they find you as a strength coach as a dance coach as all the things yes how do we find you yes the best place to find me is www.greenstonebellydance.com because I forgot to mention that I run Greenstone Belly Dance which is a (laughs) dance school online and in the Netherlands 
Um, I teach weekly online classes. I also teach weekly in-person classes. I run a program called Dance Strong, um, which is a six-week online fitness challenge for belly dancers that usually happens quarterly. It's and fantastic. I also, yes, it's fun. It's <laughs> and amazing. Oh, good. I also offer personalized uh, strength and conditioning and rehabilitation programs to dancers and non-dancers alike year round. So yeah, greenstonebellydance.com is the best place to find me. I'm also Greenstone Belly Dance on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. Greenstone Belly Dance is too long to be a Twitter handle. So I'm at Belly Siobhan, but you'll probably (laughs) find me if you search Greenstone Belly Dance. Awesome. One last question before we let you go. We are trying to bring a positive spin to the last 18 months of who knows what the world has been going through. So I'd like to ask you, what is the most positive dance experience you have had throughout lockdown and COVID and and all of this nonsense that's been going on in the world? You know, there were two kind of first things that came to mind, but I'll be honest, there's, there's been a lot of things. And, and a lot of those things have also been like, I've been running online hufflers and workshops and those online hufflers have been magical. And I really didn't expect that. They've been awesome. But actually the first thing that came to mind was last year, I took part in the Hamilton International Belly Dance Competition that's run by Eshe, who's another mm-hmm. bundle contributor. Um, and that was just an amazing experience. Um, I think Eshe knows that I love her. <laughs> and that was how, that was how I met her actually. And um. Yeah, very inspiring. It was a really great competition to get feedback from judges. And then the the kind of celebration party was awesome, meeting all the dancers there as well. And then I think the second thing is just recently, and this was actually also inspired by Eshe, so she's obviously on my mind right now. Um, <laughs> I decided to audition for Jelena's belly dance experience. Um, and I got in and that was like a, uh, I don't know, I just felt that that was something I really needed after such a long time of not performing in person because I haven't performed live in person yet. That's only going to happen for the first time this weekend. Uh, So I don't know, having something to look forward to getting back on stage again, like the whole prep for this. I'm really enjoying being challenged, all of these things. So I wonder if you would have applied if it hadn't been for all of the lockdown. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either, actually, but I think it's a really good thing that I did because it's going, it's challenging me and I know it's going to challenge me. And that's what I love and need for growth as a dancer. Yeah. That's something we, like you said, you got to love your practice, right? Yeah. It's something we could all cultivate to, to really dive in. It's not the destination, it's the journey. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Awesome. Siobhan, thank you so much for your time, for getting nerdy with us about shimmies and bodies and brains and all the things i adore you and i'm so happy to have you back again so everyone thank you for listening and we will talk to you soon Bye. bye i know you're super excited to get shimmying today so head over to your dance space and get going but remember if you lose that consistency slow it back down better to train it right than to have to break the habit later if you want the links to siobhan's social media website and more you can check the show notes page at thebellydancebundle.com 66 
We've also put up a short video of that bit in the middle where we went very unpodcast-like and shimmied during our talk. You'd think that after so many episodes, we'd know better. Get a peek into the episode by watching that on the show notes page, and be sure to check out Siobhan's challenge for the 21 days of belly dance. You can find that on Instagram, on Facebook, or on the podcast page. I can't wait to shimmy with you there during the 21 days of belly dance and in the 2021 bundle this year. Now it's time to go shimmy. 